Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tom, what is your advice? <laughs> That's a good question, Kevin. I think it might be procrastination, but I think I'm going to have to wait and get back to you on that. I don't know what my vice would be in the kitchen because my vice is food. <laughs> This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Ornovitz. 
And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, welcome to a new phase of Pack Your Knives. Since we are probably months and possibly years away from Top Chef 18, this is the season six. You can call it a rewatch. You can call it a time capsule. You can call it a throwback. But here at Pack Your Knives, for the next several weeks, fire up your Top Chef Season 6. I don't know if you're Amazon Prime or wherever you can find it. Uh, It is available widely. And then check out Pack Your Knives. We're going to go back in time. We're going to review what Tom Colicchio on this very program called his favorite Top Chef season ever. It is regarded as one of the best concentrations of talent. It is regarded as a season where the show really hit its stride. Tom, get excited. I don't know what I was expecting going into this episode, Kevin. But it was so much fun to watch episode one. I don't know um, whether this – I didn't expect this to be as fun as it was to kind of see that time capsule aspect of like opening up an old pack of baseball cards and remembering the smell and how things used to be. And, oh, there's there's Robin Yount with that goatee and like, oh, I forgot about that. Like I kind of got this nostalgic just – wave watching this show it was only 2009 kevin when this this episode aired but it really did feel like in some ways it's just top chef magical elves doing their thing but there are little things that just made this so much fun for me to watch i mean i love that your frame of reference for like retro baseball is robin young because that was like my prime baseball like for me it was rick Russell and ron lafleur <laughs> like greg lazinski <laughs> You're so much younger than me. It's ridiculous. Paul Molitor and Robin Yount. Yeah, like yeah. Those, that was prime. That was like prime baseball for me. Anyway, uh, it was also interesting to see the production value, uh, how different and how much more refined the show has gotten. And I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, I think coming off All Star Season 17, Tom, I think you would agree that the talent level, and no disrespect to the good competitors of Season Six, but a far cry from season 17 it kind of speaks to the old basketball thing that we the debate that rages among the oldsters that oh back in the day we were better no and then that steve kerr comment which i've always appreciated where he said oh of course not because because people don't evolve it's not like later incarnations of of people are are, are better than others i mean for him it was so obvious that of course uh, the group the collective chef community in 2020 is going to be better than what it was in 2006 when it was better than what it was in 1984. And so I think just watching just even specific dishes, I was so amused, Tom, by Mateen's little like mashed potatoes and the little zucchini rind that looked like something <laughs> yeah. out of Michael's in 19, you know, like, like that's yeah. a dish that I think we'd all get a giggle out of. I mean, not that it doesn't taste good or I, I can't speak to the taste. We never can, but it was so much fun going in this time, going in this time machine because it's just things have changed. I have to admit the other thing is, and this is senility. Tom, I, I barely remembered anything. I know. I like, know. I recognize them like, oh, yeah, there's Ash. And oh, yeah, there's there's Eve or whoever it was where I'm like, oh, yeah, I vaguely remember Mateen and how just bright and kind of like a cartoonish character he is. Where it's oh, just no, like, I mean, actually, he's kind of sexy, too. So, I mean, I mean, I'm just going to say that. Yeah. OK, well, I what in my I home, th- he was he was who we were watching. Really? I don't expect you to have a grasp on this. It's okay. <laughs> no. Is like, is it? Well, he's like 23. I mean, you guys are robbing the cradle. 
Well, I mean, I get older. They all stay the same age. <laughs> all so, right, all right, all right. Yeah, I was I was watching uh, Padma Kalikia uh, with the flavor saver. Um, I forgot about Tom Kalikio's little uh, soul patch there. Soul patch. How amazing is the soul patch? <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, it was only ten years ago when this aired, and I feel like man, this was this was decades ago. But um, you know, I from the very beginning. Uh, it felt a little bit different, and I'll tell you why. The intros, the music, like all of it was, oh yeah, that's the music that that was ruling this show for, for years and years and years. And they've kind of gone away from the more traditional. Like you still get the same little guitar riff, a, a little hint of the original music from the show, the theme songs. But um, I from the intros where they're kind of doing these little like – Action shots and Michael Voltaggio's, you know, pushing his brother, and it's like it, it's kind of gimmicky, but I thought it was so charming. I, I loved it, and it was um, it was a little different. And since we haven't, for those who are listening, um, Kevin and I haven't gone back and rewatched like every season before. So I haven't rewatched any seasons. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, so this was like you know we're we're kind of coming into this with a vague recollection of how things went and right off the bat i don't know about you but i felt like it was it was different it definitely felt different yeah i it also it speaking to the production value um and how much more refined like there were things actually that that i won't say annoyed me but i realized i've gotten better at like i was frustrated watching the winners judges table where they're talking about the dish and i needed i needed a you know how they kind of pan and and have that shot uh with the voiceover in the background where, where when Gail Sim, Simmons is complimenting, you know, Mike Isabella's dish, there would normally be that we see the plate remind me what he did again yes. because there's 17 chefs like that was missing. Uh, and, and likewise on the chopping block, as they're criticizing the dish, I didn't really get to a, a look at it. I, it may, I, I could be wrong here, but I know in the winners it was like that. And then while they're deliberating, they bring back the dish, but it was, I, I, I became grateful that the show now in its current incarnation uh, has a, a more practical viewing experience. Like I, I need to know, I, I need to remember, remind you what the dish looked like. Even though I just saw it 15 minutes ago, there's 17 of these things. Um, you know what else was cute, Tom? Yeah. Was uh, like the deliberate way when they finally came to a decision, like Padma says, I think we've come to a decision. And then the new days, that's just enough. But then it's like, Tom, I think we made the right decision. And then Gail <laughs> yeah. Simmons. There's a little yes, like I think we, it's, yeah. Right, right, right. It's like, okay. And you can tell that somewhere along the way between 6 and 17, uh, the producers are like, okay, fine. It's just like everyone knows what's going on here. Padma gives the I think we made a decision and we go right to it, right? Like we don't have to pretend that there's this great like the Sanhedrin is meeting and, and, and like they're going to like render a judgment on this piece of law. Like it was just – it was very funny to kind of see how – They've just – they've come to have confidence in the conventions of the show and they don't feel the need to kind of play it up anymore. And it just speaks to just as good as season six clearly is that like the show has evolved and become even more refined and more good at what it does. You know, the other thing I noticed, Kevin, and that's a great point, is the confessionals. The confessionals, they kept the off-angle interview camera uh, angle. So like – in now it's you're staring into the camera in the confessionals when um when melissa king is looking into the camera and talking about a dish she's talking to you like the listener the watcher at home like stephanie smar is talking to you whereas now they're talking off camera to someone and in an interview and the confessionals have changed too in which 
like Mike Isabella is is talking to obviously a producer who's uh, off camera, but in in now it's different. And I noticed that right off the bat is the confessionals are angled. They're talking to someone off camera and it's less intimate. Um, it also feels less uh, rehearsed or less polished, which adds, I think, a little bit more to that rawness that we get in earlier seasons than what we didn't get as much in season 17 All-Stars. Maybe that's partly because these people, had, the, the chefs in season 17, had already done this before. And so they I, were, I think that's it, really. I really do. That that's that's a big part of it, but also looking off to the camera and talking to the uh, interviewer is different than what we saw this season. Yeah, I mean the, the show's definitely become more formalized. I mean they know what works and they know what doesn't. I mean again, it's it's a it's a reflection of a show that has just had sixteen seasons to figure out you know its strengths and, it, and, and its weaknesses, things that didn't work. Um, I I want to talk more about all this stuff. Um. But uh, we're not going to do, I think, the full rehash, which we do during current seasons where we go through like every dish and, and whatnot. I think there's some some fun things to talk about. The quick fire was sort of a Top Chef classic, right? It's the relay, uh, which frankly, I think we saw something similar. Yeah, it was the same, the beginning same of season thing. Seven. You know, yep. this happened to be seafood, clams, uh, spot prawns, lobster, and what am I forgetting? Oh, that was uh, it, right? It was uh, clams, lobster, uh, and the prime rib that they had to – Oh, yeah, the, the ribs at the end. Right, right, So it was a little surf and turf action. By the way, I, I am someone who's – like I love lobster, but I have someone – I'm someone who's stopped eating it because I'm not going to do any work. Oh, and no, I feel you're like, not one of those people. And like the tail is good, but it's like you never have enough – like I'm always stopping for tacos on the way home whenever I have like a lobster tail because there's just never enough food. Uh, it's great. But I will say this. If I had mateen skills – I would eat lobster every day. I would just like have them shipped live to the. Well, actually, I can't do the that dropping them in boiling water just it freaks me out. Um, yeah, and it wasn't that wasn't was, very humane. What he it was like a slow. Well, no, no, it was no. I think they were not. They weren't alive. Were they yeah, alive? Yeah, they were alive. Kevin, when you drop a lobster into the boiling water, you're you're talking to New England. No, no, I'm here. talking. Is that what they did on the show? I just watched it last night. Yeah, yeah. They, oh my like, god! Mat- oh my god! I mean, <laughs> Mateen, like I, it, just, I suppressed that. Yeah, it. Um, he he kind of slowly dipped the the lobster into this giant pan of boiling water, and like what you're supposed to do is just like well, at least I do. Um, is just like throw them in there, and so it just zaps them. Um, so. But that lobster, I love it as as someone who grew up in New England and and summers are often about just going to Stu Leonard's and grabbing like, you know, a five ninety nine, um, you know, one pound lobster, one and a half pound lobster, and and cooking, steaming it at home, getting out the uh, the sh- the the crackers, and then you just you just go to town. Um, I, one of my favorite things ever is teaching my wife Allison how to how to break down a lobster because it, there's a real art to it. Um, and watching this, that's the one that I would like to get. If you had the choice, Kevin, if you were in the Mise and Plus relay, you could either shuck 15 clams, you could devein and, and, and shell 30 prawns or, uh, break down five lobsters or butcher a prime rib. Which one are you going for there? Like, which one do you feel most confident about? Like I've gotten decent at like those spot, spot prawns, like ripping off the head. I mean, I can do, I can shuck oysters reasonably well for a civilian. The clams, these are clams, man. Right, and like oh. I mean, that was kind of I mean, poor, pretty. Oh my god, that was just that was painful to watch. Like she was just because, and apparently, it's just a different experience. I've never shucked clams. Me neither. 
Um, and, and so clearly I would be in the same situation she what? was in. I've gotten pretty decent at the, yeah, I've gotten decent at the, uh, the good old, uh, the good old spot prawns. I, I can do that. Okay. Okay. Now, Jen, uh, Zavala, she just sliced up her hand cutting up the, uh, or shucking the clams. And I don't know about you. What would you prefer? Uh, nails on a chalkboard or watching people struggle shucking clams? Uh, watching people struggle shucking clams. I, nails on a chalkboard really bother me. I'm I, sorry. I, I don't want to see anyone watch suffer. People, <laughs> I can't watch people shucking clams. It gives me super anxiety. And also, I throw this one in there. What about watching people chew ice? I know people who have a problem with that as somebody who frankly chews ice all no! the time. I'm an ice chewer. I'm sorry. I don't understand the issue. But I mean oh! I would certainly defer to a dining <laughs> companion who didn't want me to do that. But I, I, I have never in my life had an issue with it. It's, okay. it's just not something that bothers me. But Jen just sliced up her her, her hand uh, yeah, shucking those ugly. oysters and she just kept moving along. I appreciated that. The mise en place was um, – you know, I, it's kind of a blur who is on what team, but this was the first time, Kevin, the first time that I realized how much TV has changed. And maybe I don't watch enough TV shows or reality TV um, anymore, but Mike Isabella with his sexist commentary was ho- a holy shit moment for me was when he, at one point he's like, you know, I, I don't think women I don't I don't think women should be able to shuck as as quickly as men do. And and it was like an offhand comment. I was like, oh, that, that seemed a little bit over the line. And then later in the episode, he dropped a couple more. And I was like thinking to myself, Kevin, I'm wondering, do you think? Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. People... Um if that, do you think that would air in 2020 or do you think they've kind of realized, uh, you know, people, chefs on, on these shows have already self-censored themselves and they wouldn't really say those things? Or do you think like this is just a different time and different standards? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, and there was another one 
where Wolfgang Puck basically told Hector that here in the United States, we don't deep fry steaks. <laughs> and I was just like, that would not fly. Certainly not fly. I mean, listen, I think there are probably contestants who would enjoy the edge lording and the trolling of of throwing out a, a, a comment. Uh, and by the way, I, I, I tend to fall on the free expression, though. It's just like like Mike can say it and Mike is an asshole, right? Like yeah, that, that, yeah. that is like it's like the person is free to say what they want and we are free to judge him as as a, as a troglodyte. Right? But it was the I got to say the Wolfgang Puck because like Mike Isabella was clearly like, I mean, he's just that guy um, kind of insufferable, whatever. But like Wolfgang has a certain station in the culinary community for him to tell a chef of Latino origin that like here in the United States, we don't fry our steaks and get the chicharron effect like you know it's just like come on man yeah well then it was sort of like well we all have different traditions like yeah so by the way that said i think hector was wrong to deep fry his steak <laughs> but like not because it was like a, not i don't say that out of nationalistic pride i just say it like it's a gorgeous state and i think one of the uh companion you know, one of the contestants said it like you know you're in wolfgang pups cut and you're deep frying a steak like i'm not a guy who wants a deep fried steak just and I don't actually. I shouldn't say that. Don't you like chicken fried steak? Yeah. So that's kind of my when I go to IHOP and I'm hungover, I get the chicken fried steak and and at home fries at IHOP. I, I don't, I'm not huge on pancakes, but if I go to IHOP, I'm getting the chicken fried steak and it just soaks up everything, and you just go and take a nap for the rest of the day. Like that's my ideal hangover food. Now, do I want it sitting there with Tom Colicchio, Padma Lakshmi, Gail Simmons, and Wolfgang Puck? Maybe not. Um, do I like a good chicharron? Yes. Delicious. Um, you're talking about someone who lives in North Carolina right now. So I got that comment. I also got that comment from, um, I think it was Ron who walks up to Jen Carroll and just says, Oh, you worked uh, at Eric repairs restaurant. Were you the pastry chef? And I just, Oh yeah, yeah. That (laughs) one. Oh my God. Yes. I totally forgot about that one. I just slapped my forehead. Like what? Come on, man. You can't just say that. But like so many of these moments in this show, I just – it felt like we were in the 50s. Well, there was one other one and it was less egregious, definitely. And and, and I don't I don't think Colicchio meant anything and he kind of corrected himself. But it was his notion of like, – like Ron is a Haitian chef who has gone through like truly – I mean that particular like sea crossing – as a refugee, days. like, like, I, I mean, it is a human experience. I, I, I just can't even fathom. And, and the only thing I can do is approach it with just incredible empathy and gratitude that I, I haven't had to deal with that. And so, you know, he picks it as his vice. I mean, I also think there's a possibility that like, you know, he's not a native English speaker, like vice is a very particular word. And he kind of chooses as his vice that experience. And like, you know, and Tom's like, I don't really understand how it's a vice. And I, I just, my, my <laughs> reaction was, yeah, but you know what? Like, I mean, maybe his vice is like the PTSD from that experience. Like, like maybe you cut the guy a break, and he did. Like, ultimately, Tom was like, you know, I was moved by your story. Um, but you could tell that in the spirit of the competition, it was sort of like it's. And look, I mean, Tom's not wrong by the letter of the law or by the letter of the you know de- definition that I mean, yeah, that experience isn't a vice in the way that. Um, by the way, my favorite vice was the bad Jew vice. Uh, you know i underlined that and said please mention that that was robin leventhal uh, of seattle he's like i'm a bad jew here's a pork tenderloin with wait there was another pork component on the plate what was it it was uh oh god i can't even remember now but uh that that oh maybe chorizo that that kind of oh that was so good but like that was my thing because it was a question of what is your vice and my like my vice is food here's some food 
Like, I, I don't know. really have a, like my vice is, and you've, you've known me for quite a while now, Tom, like, you know, I, you know, I, I used to have a vice that, that wasn't that, but you know, nowadays it's just like, I'm a glutton. Like, that's really my vice. Like I don't drink much anymore. Like, I, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I've set aside the herb. Like, I just like, that's my vice. I would just have to like, here's food. Okay. Like, here's a lot of food. That's my vice, guys. I, I thought about uh, when you asked me about what is my vice, I thought about my late night cereals that I eat. Um, after every dinner now, Alice and I will like sit and watch a game or sit and watch TV, uh, sit and watch Top Chef. I always just get out a bowl of cereal for my dessert. And it's probably put on like 10 pounds on my body. If I cut that out of my diet, that I'd probably just look you know a lot better. But I can't. I, I just love it. It's it's part of my ritual, and it's a vice. Um, the the post dinner bowl of cereal. Right now, I'm really into the special K with strawberries. I don't even know if I like strawberries as much as I like those these those air um those those condensed cereal strawberry slices. I, I it's just delicious to me. So that would be mine. Um, but a lot of these chefs did procrastination as their vice. And I get it because it can play well in this. And I wanted from a top chef strategy standpoint, Kevin, do you think you first come up with your dish and then you retroactively reverse engineer your vice, reverse engineer, deconstruct it into a vice? Or do you think it helps to come up with a vision through the vice and then build the dish from there? I think it's one of those, if I can just be honest. Oh, by the way, let me just ask you, in terms of your breakfast cereal, do you go with my vice with breakfast cereal, which is no. just half and half? No, but it's amazing. Like, you were like, the yeah. first person I've ever heard about this. It is breakfast amazing. Breakfast cereal should be eaten with half and half. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're going to do it, just do it. I mean, it's it's fantastic. But I think it's one of those that honestly, and especially with 17 contestants, we probably won't get, if your food is good, it doesn't really matter, as, as Ron demonstrated or in others, is... I think you pick your dish and you just bullshit. Yeah. I got to think you – now, look, I mean, if you if you come out of the box with, hey, my, I'm a bad Jew, you obviously go for the pork or the lobster or whatever, like way up on the on the hierarchy of trafe, as I call it. Um, like they're, they're actually – it's not as binary as I think maybe non-Jews understand that like kosher – it's not – I mean, yes, technically by the letter of the Old Testament, it is kosher, not kosher. But the truth is there are just things that are more unkosher than others. Like my father – would go through life, he would eat pepperoni, he would eat sausage, he'd never touch ham. There was just something a little more goisha about ham really? than pepperoni and sausage. It was like a hierarchy of trade. Like, <laughs> like my family in Charleston is orthodox. I mean, they are legitimately orthodox. And yet they would go out and eat shrimp. And like if you ask my orthodox fa- grandfather, who was like a member of the Hevra Kadisha at his orthodox shul, like – like that, that is like the people who take care of of of, of the of of the bearing. Uh, it's a very holy honor in the Orthodox tradition. But he's like, if shrimp was not supposed to be kosher, then God wouldn't have put it in the ocean outside Charleston, Carolina. You know, so, and that was always his response. Um, and so he had a hierarchy of of non of trafe slash non kosher, which had like shrimp lower than like my northeastern friends who were kept kosher was like ah oh, they didn't touch shrimp so i was just so amused by that obviously um that, that was I such lo- a great line I, by the way I, all- I've, I've lost half the audience by the way um, no no i love i love hearing that about that because i i actually didn't even know that like lobster was considered non-kosher oh yeah lobster's a big one man okay. but it's not as big as pork i know like i for whatever reason like pork and then like the, again the gradations of pork but uh 
it was yeah, I think with a vice, I think it's one of those bullshit elimination challenges. I hate to say it where you just you kind of as you say, you reverse engineer it. Right. And like they all just, love to booze. Man, that was the the through line there it was a couple procrastinations there with Kevin and I think Ash did too. But man, um they all were just like, Yeah, I'd love to drink. And Jen Jen mentioned that. Um and Wolfgang Puck I but I gotta say, I loved Wolfgang Puck on this episode. I thought he was a lot of fun. Oh, he was he was a blast. I mean, other than the like the completely xenophobic um comment, which I, I'm sure he wouldn't utter today but uh he was he was a lot of fun i mean it, there was definitely there were some zingers and fastballs i mean i like when they're a little bitchy to yeah. be honest i mean i want i don't want complete just praise all the time uh what uh so so you know i i really think in terms of the quick fire robin let's talk about robin keeping her immunity tom Mm, yes, I'm glad you brought this up. She had the opportunity, so she wins quickfire immunity simply no, she by she doesn't even win, right? She she just kind by of luck, into it. straight up luck. She gets the gold coin or whatever, and she wins the lottery. And her reward is that she gets to uh, get immunity for the next round. She wins. She sits out of the quickfire, and then she had the opportunity to come back in and win fifteen thousand. Have a chance to win fifteen thousand dollars, and she was like. Nah, I'm good. I'm good for uh, immunity. I'm just going to sit this out. And I appreciated that. You know, some people might, you know what? Melissa might have done this. Melissa might have been like, you know what? I'm going to give up immunity and I'm going to, I'm going to fight with uh, the other contestants and, and fight for a chance to win this quick fire. I, I applaud Rod, Robin mm. playing the game a little bit and mm. saying, I don't want to risk it. I don't want to give up my immunity. I'm going to go and sit on the sidelines here. She gives up the fifteen, the chance of 15 gram and she gets maintains immunity, which is good because she forgot to put um, her sauce on the plate. I got to tell you, Tom, I disagree wholeheartedly as uh. much as I hate to say it. I'm with Mike Isabella on this. If you don't have confidence that you can finish in the top 16 out of 17 and and you would forego a one in five chance at 15 grand, I'm sorry. Like you don't belong anywhere near the competition. No, no, Tom, no. I'm sorry. Like, like if look, I would there's a threshold, and I think it's about eight contestants, maybe nine, where if you offer me that bargain, I take the immunity. Because now you're getting down to by by self by virtue of being down to eight or nine, you have probably really eight or nine really good chefs. So this is I LeBron playing a back to back against Charlotte Le- and saying, you know what, uh, my back is a little tight. It's not back to back against Charlotte, Tom. It's fifteen grand. It's not back to back against Charlotte. She's not. She's not guaranteed to get that fifteen grand. No, but my point is, is look, if it's seventeen contestants, if you can't finish in the top, if you don't have faith that you're going to finish in the top sixteen. By the way, she wouldn't have lost. Her dish was fine. She just missed the sauce. Like, like I'm sorry, you don't. I'm with Mike Isabella on this. I, I just, it's bullshit. It's like, what, what are you doing there? Oh, I'm afraid I'm going to get eliminated on the first freaking week that I. I mean, do you know how bad you have to be? To get eliminated on the, especially in a non all star season, you know how bad you have to make Satan fucking chili rellenos. Okay, okay? Like, like that's how bad you have to brick. Like you have to do worse than those poorly seared scalp. By the way, I will say this, Tom Haverstrow, your friend Kevin Arnovitz would have gotten out of the first round of this top show. <laughs> I can in two and three hours make a better dish than those two clunkers. <sighs> 
Wow. I, I can't disagree with you. Um, this was not season, season 17 All-Stars. That, no, this was the G League showcase, my friend. That was, you know, Jen, Jen from the beginning got, got weird vibes. Oh, she was her. a, by the way, she was a boss, that Jen Carroll. Are you talking about Jen Carroll? Because I love that ceviche. That was a ballsy. Oh. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking, obviously, Jen Carroll's a boss. She did the ceviche. It was great. She wins the quick fire. Um, this is not top chef. This is, this is not top uh, ceviche or whatever you were, top crudo. She wins with the, with the ceviche. It was a great dish. I'm talking about Gen Z, who got eliminated for her Rieno. Now, she, I got weird vibes from her in the beginning because she was like, I don't want to unpack because I'm superstitious. And I'm like, girl, that's that's trouble right there. So you didn't even have to unpack because she got sent home for what I had to look up what Satan was. So please, please help me with this. It's just gluten. Like, um, it's it's got a nuttiness to it. So there was like, I used to go to this market in Santa Fe when I lived there called Wild Oats, which we'd call Wild Goats. And it was sort of a proto Whole Foods. Yeah, yeah. And I they had did a Wild have Oats a good, in Norwalk, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Oats. There you go. Yeah. So so they always had a good barbecue seitan. I have to, and it was a period where I was not eating meat. And it, it's sort of a – I think it's gluten, but it's, it's, it's kind of got a nuttiness to it, which I, I think is actually can be pleasant. I, I mean at the end of the day, Kevin Gillespie is more right than wrong when he says nobody fucking likes that shit. And I think, <laughs> I, I think that's a direct quote. Um but yeah, I mean, it's kind of risky. It just also, it just looked terrible. It looked like an elephant turd. It just looked so bad. It looked like a shoe dusted with cornbread. Yeah. So she goes out on it, but I have some very interesting facts about Jennifer. And in, in, in a segment we're going to call, Tom, this is your idea. Where are they now? Each season six episode, we're going to examine and investigate where 10 years, 11 years after the fact, this chef is. So, Jennifer Zavala is still in Philadelphia and she has vegan meatballs that she's sort of known for. And there is actually a an article in Philadelphia Magazine, which is a good, ma- by the way, one of the better city magazines in this. Uh, I had friends who, who work there. Um, called, here's the recipe for the vegan, quote, meatballs that pissed off South Philly. So apparently in South Philly, they have a, which is, you know, a venerable Italian community in this country. Um, and still is. I mean, one of the last places where I think there's just like a, like a truly uh, inner core uh, Italian community. They have a meatball contest and she enters with vegan meatballs. I believe this is 2018. And just the purest among them are revolting. Um, she also, interestingly enough, Tom, she will. She has a catering service. She will come to your house and cook a delicious medical-grade marijuana-infused meal for you and your friends, something she does regularly for those who are sick. The food is delicious, and Zavala, uh, of illegal South Philly tamale truck fame, is as entertaining as the drugs themselves. So she will prepare a pot, medical-grade pot meal, and apparently in Philadelphia, Tom, had a food truck a legal food truck where she sold pot tamales until she was shut down. This is incredible, Kevin. This is amazing. Talk about reinventing yourself, getting kicked off uh, a reality TV show and coming around and basically being a drug dealer, but authorized to cook with, with pot. I think, wait, let's call her an exotic chef. I don't think that's fair. I'm saying that in a loving fashion. I love this idea. You love your drug dealers. Yes. Yes. And, and in the NBA, Kevin, a lot of NBA players or former NBA players are into this whole um, 
cannabis infused meals. Like they, they dig it. And so there's a real market for this. She's, she's on uh, Instagram at Foxy Lady Chef and she's still doing these like kind of pop up kitchen, um, you know, tamales or, or these, I don't know. What is it? Can cannabis food? Like, what do you? How, no, no, it's pot. I mean, look, it's like. I mean, I'm sure you've had more, you know, the one pot brownie in your day. I have some pot espresso beans, and, yeah. and by the way, like, I, like that's cool. I mean, hats off to her. She went out first, but I have much respect. A, a medical grade marijuana infused business is a great business, um, and a tamale truck that's fantastic. Good for her. I'm glad to see her. that that this this she recovered from the Chilleriano, Tom. Yes, she did. And um, when when we get back to basketball and we watch the 76ers in the in the finals one year, we're gonna have to go hit up uh, Jen and, and go hit up some uh, tamales. This sounds yes. this sounds amazing. Um, it is uh, it is yeah, it, it was good. So that that is our where are they now, um, Pete? Let, let's talk about the elimination challenge a little bit. Um, again, I, I don't want to go through the whole. I mean, I don't think we need to do that. But, but uh, I, I mentioned the Mateen's little potato puree inside or zucchini rind. It was like again something out of Michael's. I don't know that that dish would be made in 2020. If it is, it's probably at like a Chili's or something like that. It, right. It's just not. It's it's not something uh, we really see anymore in the the hip and uh, restaurants. I think it's. Um, I think he's he's a super talented chef, but it's it's funny to see what what was considered like a really beautifully put together dish when like I don't know if that dish was in season seventeen All Stars what they would say about it. Yeah. Um, also, and you could see Calicchio's annoyance at just lots of drizzle and puree. You know, it was definitely and it was fun to see it. I mean, by the way, though, that, that that potato and zucchini thing—that that's like out of nineteen ninety. I mean, he was ten years late from being ten <laughs> years late, right? Like, like, um, but the, the you know the drizzle and, and and puree situation was definitely just loose, and it, it was it was just funny because and you could see Colicchio's annoyance. It was kind of like the Italian chefs the other week on on season seventeen. You know what I appreciate about Judge's Table, and I forgot this is how it went down, is when Padma goes in. Or she doesn't go in. Sorry, she tells which chefs are need to be brought back out. So Ron, uh, the winning chefs in the top four, you know, she says, "Please go tell the contestants so and so, so and so, and so and so. Please come out uh, to the judges' table." I had forgotten that this is how it used to be. Is like they're waiting in the waiting room in the back pantry, and they're just getting bombed. They're getting hammered off of wine or whatever they're doing, and they have there's someone who's got to be the messenger and this one it was ron who was like um you know jen and so and jesse or whoever it was you got to come out um they want to see you and i forgot that they, they kind of got away from that in recent years yeah and am i correct that there was like this there used to be this suspense where when they said we want to see these four people and everyone looks around like oh my god are we the good list or the bad <laughs> list and whereas everybody knows now like the first group's going to be the chopping no no it's the first group's going to be the winners and the second group is going to be the chopping block right but it, it was funny to go you know harken back 11 years and it was sort of like you know, and maybe it was the way they edited it, but like the four of them are standing in front of the judges' table, and and Padma kind of reveals congratulations, and they all have this sigh of relief, as <laughs> if 
you know, and now it, it, I, I kind of love that about the show. They just kind of like, hey, we're not going to we're not going to overplay like we've come to our decision. We're not going to overplay the suspense of, you know, these four people could be the winners or they could be the losers. Right. And and, um, and that was funny, too. It looked as if I was very confused. And I think this is another thing they've gotten much more specific about. I was very consumed about – until they got into the kitchen, I was confused about the structure. They were teams, but they weren't teams. Like I thought, okay, they're, are they cooking a four-course meal together? Because the way they framed it, what they basically created were regionals, sort of uh, pods yes. where gr- group play, if you will, in, in the parlance of, of soccer and, and global soccer. And I was just thoroughly confused about that. Yeah, it wasn't ideal, but I guess that's just kind of how it's a numbers game where you just got to break it down into teams when there's 17 chefs. Um, it, it was it, just a kind of final thoughts here, Kevin, is Padma, it felt like she was more of a host rather than a judge. Did you notice that a little bit more? Yeah, I guess somewhat. I mean, it, it seemed like like you're suggesting that like Caligia was was like a more prominent voice in the in the evaluation process. Yeah, it felt like she was I, I more of a right. point now guard in this. Is yeah, like she wasn't it, yeah. really giving her input as much as she does now on the dishes. Whereas now you just she's an e- equal footing with all the other judges with you know her takes and her her input. Whereas on this episode, maybe maybe this is just a one episode thing, but it really felt like Padma was the point guard giving you know the ball to other people. Yeah, and it's funny now that you mention it. Yes, and and you're right. As the series has progressed, she's much more vocal as an actual judge, and rightly so. I mean, I, by the way, I'm very excited to watch her show. Uh, at some point, I have to carve out time to do that. Uh, it also looked like that it's very possible that Michael Voltaggio had the second best dish of the night, and yet because he was in the same pod with Gillespie, uh, never made it to the final. Table. I thought Michael was going to win. Like I thought, right. Didn't you kind of feel like he was going to have like either the winning dish or certainly be in the top four? Well, he did have the top four. I mean, again, what I don't like about the structure of a challenge like that is, hey, you know what? There's 16 contestants, 17. Just pick the four best and pick the four worst. Don't don't pod them out again because it's not like as if it's sort of like those divisions with unbalanced with balanced schedule with balanced schedules. Like, what's the point of having the division if you're not actually going to have, you know? you know, cooking against one another. And and so what you end up with is the 93 Braves and the 93 Giants, you know, the two best teams and like arguably in the entire decade. Wait, no, Kevin, Kevin, I don't think Michael Voltaggio was in the top four. Wait, he was in Kevin's group, right? No, my point is, is he had the one of the four best meals, but by virtue of oh, this yes. arbitrary, right. What I'm saying is, is the arbitrary pods, like I'm just not four. I just don't think it, it gotta just have the four best dishes up there right if he was in ron's team for example right. he, like he had a better dish than three out of four of those chefs probably right um with his rack which i couldn't tell if he was saying his vice is that he likes breasts or whether he likes that <laughs> vegas likes breast. like i couldn't figure out his story but the dish looked amazing right it goes to your reverse engineering like at the end of the day you make <laughs> shit up like to conform to your or not even conform just, just to suggest even the slightest bit that you've followed the challenge um, because especially with 17 years, not going to go there. Tom, closing thoughts. I mean, this is fun. I mean, we're, we're doing, I mean, the rewatch is a blast. Yeah, I, I, w- I guess I was underestimating how fun it is to just go back in time and watch this. Um, seeing how sunburnt Michael and, and Brian Voltaggio were in their confessionals, like they had fallen asleep outside of, uh, outside of the MGM Grand. Um and seeing how young they looked, like Brian Voltaggio looks like he's 15. Um, 
I think I think it's just it's added so much more fun than just watching it uh, live. Like I think we're 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 enjoying it and experiencing it differently now than when we watched in seasons. And then you know what? It's been so long. Um, it's really really cool to to do this rewatch, and I hope people enjoy it as much as we did. For Tom Haberstrom, this is Kevin Ornovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives.